The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. I look around the room and see so many faces of people that I love that I have not seen in too long, and it's a gift just to, uh, to see you. I have so much I feel like I want to share when you're used to preaching a lot. Um, you can imagine over three months of sabbatical, there's been so many thoughts. I want to share this with Ecclesia and this. And so uh, this sermon's going to be about 82 minutes, and um, <laughs> it, it won't. I, I'll take time and, and share with you another. But I would be remiss if I didn't pause for a minute uh, and tell you a little bit about what God's allowed me to do and to experience uh, on this sabbatical. Uh, it really has been a gift from the church that at our 20-year mark, that I've had three months to take a break and I don't have the words to even describe to you how different I feel uh, with time of rest um, and time to really um, uh, make amends and seek restoration with family for sometimes that I've worked too much uh, and I got to be just present with them. It's really been a gift. In the midst of it, I went to all the kids and said, you know, I've spent most of your lives, some of them at times in busy seasons of their lives where we were doing six, even seven services. It just, uh, when they were free on the weekends, I wasn't free. And then what I've learned about myself, and it's not a great attribute, is that I'm so obsessive about sermon preparation that I literally do it 24 seven. I'm constantly thinking about what I will say to you. So I, I do it in my sleep. I dream my sermons in my sleep. I could wake up and write them down. And what I've realized is that that's actually a real problem for me. And that I'm often at dinner with family or I'm at a baseball game with my kids and I'm not actually fully with them. During my sabbatical, I had the first experience, it feels like for me in 20 years, to be at a baseball with my 13-year-old and go, I'm not thinking about anything else but just being with you. And uh, that was a gift from God for me and I'm committed not to go backwards. So I'm telling you in advance, if my sermons suck going forward, <laughs> all I can say is get over it, I guess, because I... I can't live that way um, any longer. And that's, so all the kids I went and just said, what do you want to do? Because dad all of a sudden has time and I typically haven't had time and I got time. What do you want to do? And they all had different answers. I got to spend extra time resting at home uh, and focused on loving my uh, second daughter who graduated from high school and is headed off to college. If you know Trinity, Trinity is a gift to the world. She brings a, a level of love and joy that's just unparalleled. And so getting to be with her and be the prom photographer and send her off and threaten guys at prom and things like that was really uh, a joy for me. Uh, Solomon, my 16-year-old, is obsessed with music. He wanted to do as much musically as possible. I got to take him along as I tried to work on my Spanish in Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires has a great music scene. And so for eight nights in a row, we went to blues shows. We did blues show after blues show. And, uh, and it was really, Argentina is a beautiful place. I've got at least one good photo. Um, I've also gotten into photography in this uh, period, and it's been really fun for me just to have the singular focus of a camera and get to seek out beauty. It's been one of the things I've really loved. Christian wanted to do as many baseball parks as possible, and he is truly his father's son. We have chased the Astros to Monterey, Mexico. We were guests of uh, future Hall of Famer Albert Pujols uh, in uh, in Mexico. So Christian, literally his life, he doesn't really understand uh, what a privilege it is. We went and had dinner with uh, Albert and his suite and, uh, and Christian ordered uh, cheese pizza from room service. It didn't come. So Albert was on the phone griping at room service. My friend Christian needs his cheese pizza. And I'm nudging Christian like, Hall of Famer is... <laughs> 
tracking down a cheese pizza for you. Like, that's just not normal. He's a massive, amazing, really kind uh, guy. We chased the Astros to Cincinnati, to Oakland, and to New York, and we got one more trip to Milwaukee. Um, I don't know if you're following the Astros and the no-hitter last night, or the pitchers that we got. Um, I'm going to talk to you about gambling, and I don't think gambling is a really great idea, but I would say go buy anything you can at Gallery Furniture right now, because um, I think we're going to win the World Series, and it'll be free, so, and then just add to your tithe when it becomes free, okay? And that'll be a really good thing. We got to go to uh, the first Major League Baseball game ever played in London, and that was amazing. I'll tell you if you uh, have a drink with me sometime, the story of how we got seats. We thought were good, they weren't good. And then we ended up getting pulled in to sit with the owner of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, he's planning on going to the Holy Land with us one day in the future. So he's a new friend, and uh, who'd have thought I'd be friends with the owner of the Chicago Cubs. Um, but now that we're in the American League, it makes it a little bit easier to enjoy Enjoy him. We spent time in, in London, which we, we loved. It's my first experience in London. Um, I fell in love with it. We took Solomon to a beautiful place in the countryside uh, where he studied at a luthier school, and I took photos of really beautiful churches, and he had four weeks to build two guitars. He's become quite a luthier, and I loved these quaint little towns. Uh, I got a short time with a few of the kids on a free, brief visit to Paris. It's my first visit to Paris, and we loved it. We got access to the American Cathedral with my friend Greg Garrett, and so we're up in the bell tower here. It's really scary climbing up there, but it's worth it for a photo uh, like that. It was really cool. And then I got to go to Africa where my oldest daughter, Hannah, has spent the whole summer. Uh, she's been serving the social workers in Zambia, and we got to serve a beautiful group of kids for a week. And for the first time, I've been to Africa so many times, and I never stay and do the cool, fun safari things because I feel guilty because my family's at home. So for the first time, I got to keep, take my kids to do things like feed elephants and see beautiful animals. And we went out to the largest waterfall in the world and got to do something really cool. Um, we caught it at the right time. It's a little crazy. You have to swim through all these currents. The first time we went, Christian decided this was too crazy and he didn't do it. And then he's a 13-year-old, right? So later he regretted it, but he didn't have the words for it. He was just angry. And... Um, <laughs> And I realized as a dad, my job was to get him to the edge of that waterfall. We went back together. We all did it. So when we went back, the, the guide will grab your phone and you can take photos. And, and I asked the kids, what should we do? And they had been saying, dad, you need to find a really cool way to thank Ecclesia for your sabbatical. Because they, if you ask them, they'll tell you it's been one of the greatest gifts to them because of the ways that we get to connect to each other. So while we were there, they, they, I said, what should we do? They said, get the phone and, and make Ecclesia a video at the waterfall saying, thank you for your sabbatical. So this is it. Hey, Ecclesia, I can't believe that you gave me an amazing sabbatical. I've been here with my family. I'm at the edge of the world, Victoria Falls. Thanks for your love, your kindness. I can't wait for our 21st year and beyond. Love you. So I was this close to not being a part of the 21st year. Isn't that cool? Um, to, to say I don't have the words is just, it doesn't even count. I'm, I'm, that's my job is to have the words and I honestly just don't. You'll hear a bit more about what it means to me and some of the bad habits of stress and anxiety that you embrace and that I'm committed not to embrace and just to live 
and as healthy a way together as we, we possibly, as we possibly can. Part of what it does when you get a break is you think, I've spent 28 years now for me as a pastor, 20 years at Ecclesia pastoring, and uh, you naturally ask the question, why the church? If you're gonna give your life to something, why would it be the church? And is it what you wanna spend your next 20 years doing? And I wanna tell you today part of why I wanna spend my life serving and building the church. It's because uh, even when we started the church, one of the first friends I met on the street of Mont- streets of Montrose, a guy named Ted Stanford, if you're around in the early days and we're privileged to know Ted, it's a gift. Ted's, Ted's one of the smartest, brightest people I've ever met. Ted was plagued by addictions, which really complicated his HIV status. And Ted was one of those people who was clear from the day I met him. Ted didn't need a social service project. He didn't just need a friend. Ted needed a church. He needed people that would point him to God and would walk with him and help him stay sober. I pulled Ted out of crack houses. I've been through hell with Ted. And yet what Ted needed, if Ted was gonna live the thriving life that God made for him to live, is he needed a church. When I go to Liberia, and years ago I went and I couldn't believe, you didn't have to be a doctor or some kind of scientist to equate the reality that all of these kids I was meeting in these villages were drinking water from a river where the waste of animals and people had washed in and they weren't thriving in their health. They were in a bad place. And as I looked there, I did not instantly think, well, the UN will definitely solve this, right? I didn't think, well, UNICEF will figure it out. You know what I thought? I thought the church is the solution for these kids. If the church gathers together her resources and shares generously, these kids will be okay. And to get to go back to those same communities and see that kids aren't drinking from rivers and streams, it made me go, I wanna spend my life in the church. Even as I think about what was happening this weekend on our West Side campus, as on the West Side in Piney Point, Sean and my friend Greg Garrett and about 45 Ecclesians gathered all weekend to watch films and to discuss the challenges of race in our country today and the way that art and film present some questions. And they talked about racial reconciliation and what that looks like. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, if I look at this world, I don't think, you know what? I think the news channels are gonna solve that. I think they're gonna figure it out. You know who I think can figure it out? The only people that can figure it out, you ought to be catching on by now. Who do you think? It's the church. It's the only people that will say, we're going to put self-interest aside. We're going to see that all people are created in the image of God. We're not going to tolerate racism or bigotry. We're going to come together and celebrate the unique gifts of all people. It's only the church. So hear me. There's no one else that will do that. There's no one else. And so as I think, what will I do for the next 20 years? My answer is really clear. I'm going to be a part of building Christ's church. And today, my message is to invite you to join me on that mission. As I look back, I go, it wasn't always easy. And I did a lot of looking back um, over this three months. In fact, I came back and was reminded of some stories. I have a book on my bookshelf that I was a part of, a contributor to this book uh, called The Slate Diaries. It's with slate.com if you ever read uh, their website. And they asked people to diary and, uh, and they recorded them. I, I'm going to name drop for a minute because it's the coolest book I've ever been a part of in terms of other contributors. Just a few people that contributed to this book. People like uh, Doug Copeland and Roger Ebert and Dave Eggers, Bill Gates, Malcolm Gladwell, Ira Glass, Beck. I always freak out when I say that one. I'm like, literally, I'm in a book with Beck. Um, David Sedaris, Ben Stein. And what they do is you, you write five entries and I think for the, a few people they took three. Um, they took three of mine, they only took one of Bill Gates, so I kind of have that. 
on him. I'm kind of proud of that. And, uh, and, and the job was to say, what do you do as a pastor? And they picked a random day. And I was just um, months into starting Ecclesia. <laughs> and already nothing was easy. You could read all three of them sometime. I, I'll try to remember to share them online. But the first one starts kind of describing who I am and what I do and gives you a sense of what the early months at Ecclesia might have felt like for me. I, I say I'm a pastor. And that means I care for people. I'm a teacher and storyteller, a spiritual director and friend, a mentor and a giver of hope. I love it and I'm made for it. And I'm really proud that 20 years later I can look and go, I still love it and I'm still made for it. I say my wife Lisa and my 21 month old daughter Hannah, she's 21 years old now. And I went to dinner Saturday night with a friend from Philadelphia who's traveling to the United States and parts of Europe for the next year. He's a social worker and he saved most of his salary for the last year for his adventure. After introducing him to Nympha, some of the best Tex-Mex you will ever find, specifically on navigation, I drop them off while I go rent a movie and close out Saturday night on a relaxing note. As I pull into Hollywood video, that tells you it's 2000, right? <laughs> Anybody remember going to Hollywood video? My Nextel phone, that's what we had at Ecclesia in those days. It was like a walkie-talkie. It starts screaming at me, your apartment is on fire, come home. I think it's a joke, but it's not, and I race home. My wife and baby are safe outside, but there's smoke everywhere and the smell of burnt plastic is putrid. I tell the story of basically waiting for the fire department, that they came really fast, but it's just not an easy place to get into. And uh, we emptied uh, as many fire extinguishers, I emptied as many fire extinguishers as I could find. I break the glass, I think I emptied 16 fire extinguishers on our house. And uh, all of a sudden come to the realization that I'm starting a small church that maybe will never make it. And, uh, and all of our things have burned or been smoke damaged. This is the day that Slate randomly picks for me to diary, right? The first day. I talk about the ambulance checking me out and that we went to stay the night in an empty apartment owned by the same complex. I get there and my wife sends me to the store with a grocery list. It's fascinating if your possessions come down to nothing, what are the first things that you go out to buy, right? So she sends me the, with a grocery list. It says lemons for a lemonade fast so that I can detox all the carcinogens that I swallowed the last night. That was her idea, by the way. Paper plates, cups, a knife, papaya, distilled water, soy milk, which is disgusting, <laughs> and a pregnancy test. I think she's most likely paranoid that inhaling smoke and cleaning soot from our things could endanger a potential fetus. If a $12 pregnancy test puts her mind at ease, then it is a worthwhile investment. So we cut the papaya, drink some water, and take the test. Holy hellfire, there are two lines. <laughs> Parents, you know what I'm talking about. There's a control line and a you are great with child line. Lisa is pregnant. We have our second child, and I'm now a father of a homeless family of four. And I go on to describe how we gather for one of our earliest gatherings at Ecclesia and begin to share um, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, and figure out how to carry it together. From that moment, I experienced a lot of Acts 2 at Ecclesia. Acts chapter 2 tells us this about the church, that the community continually committed 
themselves to learning what the apostles taught them. That's part of what we do now. We study the Bible. We want to learn. Gathering for fellowship and breaking bread, eating meals together and praying. Everyone felt a sense of awe because the apostles were doing many signs and wonders among them. There was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believed. They thought we belong, we're here, we have a common mission and purpose. They shared all their material possessions and trust. So no one had any needs. They sold any possessions and goods that did not benefit the community and they used the money to help everyone in need. Now, Ecclesia, nobody does this but the church. They were unified as they worshiped at the temple day after day. In homes, they broke bread and they shared meals with glad and generous hearts. And the new disciples praised God and they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people of the city. And day after day, the Lord added to their number everyone who was experiencing liberation. I'm telling you, Ecclesia, I still read Acts 2. That's been the beginning of my journey. I grew up in a church that was very conservative, traditional, rigid, fundamentalist. There was a lot wrong with it. They hated rock music. They didn't seem to like people in general. I, I, I grew up and just thought, I don't know if I want to be a part of the church. And I'd start to complain to my dad from time to time about how broken the church was. And I remember my dad over and over would say, Chris, I don't want to hear you bitch and moan and complain about the church. I want you to read the book of Acts and make the church what you believe God's called it to be. I've spent my life deciding to do that. And today, I want to invite you, maybe in a new and fresh and clear way, to join me in that journey. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus talks about the church. He's looking to Peter. I love this passage. This is what he says. He says, for this is why I've called you Peter. Peter means rock. For on this rock I will build my church, and the church will reign triumphant even to the gates of hell. He says, literally, pick the darkest, most evil place in the world, and the church is going to thrive even up until that place. Because Jesus has spent what the scriptures tell us from the day he departed from the earth till now, his primary passion and obsession, what Jesus is doing, is establishing his church. It's his means of bringing hope to the entire world. And so together, this is what I want you to consider. One of the fun things about being away on sabbatical is I get a different kind of interaction from people, in part because I didn't often tell people I'm a pastor. They go, what do you do? And I go, I'm sabbatical, I'm doing nothing. <laughs> you know, What'd you do before? I'm like, it's probably not that interesting to you, right? I just, because as soon as you tell people you're a pastor, it goes a different direction, right? Um, and I'm also just hadn't been in Houston a lot of the time. So when I'm around town, uh, many of you know I hide out in Chinatown because people don't know me there. They don't speak English and it's kind of fun. But, uh, but when I'm around town, I run into people all the time. I was getting medical tests. This lady was putting an IV in me. She's slapping my arm. And just as she's about to stick me with a needle, she goes, I go to your church. Right? <laughs> and, I, and I'm literally thinking like, I hope I didn't say anything to offend her. She's going to hurt me. I, uh, you know, and I love it when people, we have a lot of waiters in our church and I don't mind having waiters in our church because I tip well because I used to be a waiter. I love running to people that say, hey, I go to your church. I was flying uh, early last year with Lisa. We flew to California and uh, I don't get enough trips with all our kids that we get to go somewhere together, but we were going together and it's a, it's a long flight, right? You got four and a half hours to just sit and any of you that are married and you got four kids and you got a busy life, you know, if you get four and a half hours on a plane, 
with your wife, you got some things to figure out, right? So we're sitting in the exit row, we got a little extra room and we're, we're just sitting there, we're ready to take off. And you know, we're staying at a really nice hotel. So husbands know you wanna be in a good place with your wife, you know? You're really committed to like, let's work anything out we need to work out because we're getting to a really nice hotel and I'd like to make sure everybody's happy, right? And so we're just working through our problems and talking about what's going on and what's going on with the kids. We got four and a half hours. Plane lands in LA, stand up. And the guy sitting right in front of me, he turns around and goes, hey, Pastor Chris, I go to your church. I go, you gotta be kidding me, right? And I literally, I left my iPad on the plane because all I could think is what the hell did I say on this flight, right? I know, like he knows everything about any conflict Lisa and I had over the last year. He usually comes to the 11, so I was looking to see if I could spot him, but I don't see him here today. I'm, and I'm wanting to go like, hey, dude, that's what you tell me at the beginning of the flight, right? <laughs> Not the end of the flight. You don't wait till we're getting off the plane to tell me that you go to my church. But this is what I'd like to suggest to you, that none of you say that to me anymore. <laughs> and you know why? Because this is what I want to suggest to you. Don't go to church. Don't go to church. I'd suggest to you that you go to a concert, you go to the movies, you go to the mall, you don't go to church. What I wanna ask you to do is to be the church. To be the church. To decide that you're going to be a part of the body of Christ and that, yeah, we're gonna gather from time to time. Ecclesia means those called out or those gathered. It means we're gonna gather, but you say, I don't go to church, I am the church. I'm a part of the church. What we learned in Psalm 92, it's this beautiful psalm. The psalmist says it this way. He says, but you've made me strong as a wild ox. I love psalms like this. Some of the psalms, they're always honest. But sometimes the psalmists are like, I'm frail, I'm weak, I'm, I'm beat and I'm battered. I love reading them from time to time where they're like, I'm strong. I think he just came back from a sabbatical. He's like, I'm strong. I feel good. I feel connected to the Lord. He says, I'm anointed with refreshing oil of your blessing, and I've seen with my own eyes my enemies defeated. I've heard with my own ears my attackers cut down. Those who are devoted to God will flourish. I want to tell you, Ecclesia, this is probably not a word you use often, but I want to suggest to you this is your aim in life, is to flourish. Anybody ask you how you're doing lately, and you just go, I'm flourishing. I'm flourishing. He says, this is what you're called to do. You're called to flourish. Those who are devoted to God will flourish like budding date palm trees. If you go to the Holy Land with me one day, I'll point these out to you. Our palm trees here are decorative. In the Holy Land, they bear fruit. They bear these dates that are unbelievable. They're beautiful and they have fruit. He says, you're going to thrive. You're going to flourish like budding date palm trees. They're going to grow strong and tall like the cedars in Lebanon, these massive trees that grow as high as skyscrapers, like uh, uh, the redwoods at my friend Bob Goff's place. They're massive. Bob will go, that tree right there, just one timber is worth $30,000. It reaches to the heavens, right? It's massive. And they got deep, thick roots that pull water and nutrients, they nourish it. This is what he says, those planted in the house of the eternal will thrive in the courts of our God. This is what I wanna to say to you, Ecclesia. Don't go to church, be the church. What does it mean to be the church? To be planted in the house of the eternal. 
I'm going to plant myself in the place that I can thrive, that God will nourish me, that I'm going to be enmeshed. All the roots of these trees and these great forests, right? They're all woven together. They create a sense of community and protection and provision, and they flourish, right? And what he says is in Psalm 92, he says, they bear fruit even into old age. Anybody else getting older going, that's good news. I'm getting older. I'm going to bear fruit. I'm going to have fruit in my life. Even in winter, they will be green and full of sap. What happens with healthy trees, these evergreens, when it gets hot in the summer, right? Anybody got any heat in their life right now? You got some heat and it's just, it feels like it's going to scorch you. And it's leaning in, but because you're nourished and you got strong roots, these trees, they thrive in the middle of heat. Anybody got some cold, some isolation, some darkness, some loneliness? You got, you got winter. And in the midst of winter, they're still thriving. When we're sustained, when we're planted in the house of the Lord, we can endure the heat and the cold. We can get through the hard times because our roots grow deep. Now, this is how Jesus explains it, right? He, um, he says, to display the eternal is righteous, he's my rock and there's no shadow of evil in him. Jesus explains in uh, Matthew 13 that our lives are simply seeds. I'm not gonna read the whole passage to you uh, because there's so much to share in it, but this is what Jesus says. It's, he's telling a parable. You'll likely remember this one, right? And he says, he says, your life's like a seed. So the question is, what's gonna happen with your seed? He says, some seeds, they get thrown on the hard soil like the road. You remember what happens to those seeds? The birds come and eat them. You got one seed, and it just didn't get planted well. It didn't get rooted well, and the bird comes and eats it, and it's done. He says, some seeds get planted, but they get planted in shallow soil. Not a lot of nutrients, but they're planted, and they sprout. I've seen people come along at Ecclesia, and their faith just sprouts a little bit but they don't get planted deep. And you know what happens? He says, the heat comes and it just scorches it. It's just done. And then he says, this is the beautiful part. This is the part I want you to hear. This is the invitation today, right? He says, and the, the, the sower scattered his seeds in a patch of good earth, healthy earth, fertile, planted deeply and well. And at the home at home in the good earth, the seeds grew and they grew. And eventually the seeds bore fruit and the fruit grew ripe and was harvested and the harvest was immense. 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And then Jesus says he would do, he just said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Ecclesia, I pray you here today. You, you got one life, you got one seed. Are you going to plant it in the house of the eternal and see it grow massive, massive fruit? Are you going to multiply your life for good by 30, 60, or 100 times? I believe it's fully possible. Every one of us, our life could have 100 times over kind of fruit. They go, just that one seed, that one life made such a difference in so many people. How would it happen? Do you stop going to church? You decide you're going to be the church. You're going to plant and the house of the eternal. Now, one of my favorite things uh, about going to the Holy Land is to eat the fruit uh, from those trees, those date palm trees that I was telling you about. They, um, they look like palm trees, but they bear amazing fruits, just these little dates. These are the dried versions, fresh, they're beautiful too. Anybody wanna try some? Anybody hungry, you'd like to try a date? I'll, uh, I'll give you a few. Oh, 
Oh man, I'm like, I'm on. Anybody over here? Who almost threw two to you? It would have. Oh, good. Sorry, I've only, I've only hit a couple of people in the head so far this weekend. Um, so as you get it, this is what I want you to do. Somebody. Oh yeah, a back wall. I gotta hit a. Pick it up, pick it up. Seriously, if I, if I threw it to you, if I threw it to you, you gotta pick it up even if you miss it because it could be on you or it could be on me. This, this is what I want you to do. I'll give you a few more. Here's somebody can pass these. I'll buy some new ones for the 5 p.m. But this is what I want you to do if you got it. Take a little bite. If you're close to somebody, you could share them. I'm telling you. You take a bite of this, and you instantly begin to think, why do we eat chemical candy here? Like, there's nothing sweeter. Nothing, I mean, I get there, I eat these, and I just go, oh my Lord, what, we don't, why is this not a part of our diet? Now, I'll warn you, they're so good, you could eat like 10 of them, don't do that. (laughs) You'll be in the bathroom for a long time. I have done it, so I'm just telling you from experience. But in the Middle East, they'll sweeten their coffee with this. Everything is just natural sweetness. I got to tell you, Ecclesia, if you got the chance to be a seed that's just eaten and devoured, or a seed that sprouts and doesn't do anything, or a tree that bears fruit like this, I want to plant myself in the house of the eternal. I want to bear fruit. I want people to taste that fruit and go, that is so sweet, that is so good, that is a life well lived. What kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, the scriptures describe it this way in Galatians 5. And I'm gonna keep eating it because I can. (laughs) I've eaten one at every service though, so. (laughs) Guess where I'm going after the. He says the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit. Unconditional love. Now you gotta hear this. The only way you bear this fruit is through the Spirit. It's only if your tree is planted in the house of the eternal. There's no other way. You know anybody far from God that just goes, hey, what are you good at? They're like, I'm so good at unconditional love. I love people no matter what they do to me. Anybody know anybody like that? Just, they're just, they don't even know God. They're just like, I'm just really good at unconditional love. That's what I do. You know, the only way to love unconditionally, the only way is that it would be a fruit from the spirit of God. It's the only way. You have to plant yourself in the house of the eternal. And when you're planted there, you're nourished by his word, by prayer, by Christian disciplines, by Christian community. And then your tree, your plant starts to grow and then you bear fruit and the fruit are things like unconditional love, joy, peace, patience. Know anybody that's just like, they're just naturally remarkably patient. Anybody here like, I'm so patient, people are impatient with how patient I am. (laughs) Anybody just like, that's just what you do. You're just naturally, unbelievably patient. The only way to be patient like that is that you know the creator and you're so connected with him. The spirit of God dwells within you in a way that it brings a calm and a peace to you. He says, 
patience, kindness, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you find yourself in a place that you say, I'm truly self-controlled, you put me in front of a bowl of queso and I only dip twice, that's the work of the Spirit, right? (laughs) Like that's not a fleshly, I'm not capable of that on my own. But you find when you walk in the Spirit, you could do things that you weren't actually capable of. He says, those of us who belong to the anointed one have crucified our old lives and put to death the flesh and all the lusts and desires that plague us. He goes on and says, now, since we've chosen to walk with the Spirit, let's keep each step in perfect sync with God's Spirit. This will happen when we set aside what? Say it with me. Our self-interest. You hear what we were talking about in Acts 2? They said, this, what I've been given is not for me. I've been given this gift. When you give our kids, I give my kids, what, what, what blessings did you get and why do you have them, right? When I give my kids a toy, what do I have to remind them? I taught them this from the time they were young, right? I gave you this toy, it's yours to, to share. It, mine, mine, mine. Yeah, it's yours. We gave it to you so that you could share it. Ecclesia, you've been given gifts. Remarkable gifts. Some of you just, your person, your leadership, you're just gifted. Real assets, things that matter, things that can change. You've been given them. They've been given to you by the creator of all things, and he gave them to you so that you would share them. And then when you share them, the world's just a better place. And you know where people go to share things? Only the church, the only place I know where people go and they share radically without self-interest. And they work together to create true community instead of a culture consumed by what we find everywhere we go. Provocation, people want to get in a fight. Pride, they're filled with this about me and envy. I want what you have. When we lay those things down and we say we want to be a part of true Christian community, we lay down provocation, pride, envy, and self-interest. When we lay those things down, we have the chance to participate in a life-changing community. Ecclesia, don't go to church. Let's be the church. I'm ready for whatever God has for us over the next 20 years because I believe that our church, that the church is still the great hope of the world. If we'll do what God's called us to do and be who God's called us to be, it'll truly be a gift. So I wanna invite you just to pray with me. I'm gonna bless our time of coming to communion. Over the coming weeks, we're gonna be in a series, we're gonna be looking at the history of the church. We're gonna be looking at things that church historians and influential people contributed to help us understand the church, what it means to be a local church, a global church, a historical church. And together, I'm hoping that you'll walk with me on an invitation to say, I wanna be the church, and together, we're gonna be God's change in the world. It's not gonna happen through the news channels. It's not gonna happen through uh, the NGOs or the governments. God's church is the great hope for the entire world. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I believe. I believe that you chose your church, imperfect as she is, to be your hands and feet to a hurting world. And so God, we pray in Houston where there are divisions, economic divisions, racial divisions, where there, there's hurt and pain and anxiety, that in those places that your spirit would lean in through your hands and feet through the church to bring healing in a way that only you can. 
in places of grief as we walk with the Capes family. God, we ask that your church would be a source of peace, that it would be a balm to the pain and the sorrow and the grief of this profound loss. God, we pray that across the globe, when we look at inequity, when we look at children that are suffering in ways that they, they very clearly just need a church that offers an opportunity to share without self-interest, God, that you would do something beautiful. We thank you for the kids present in this room. And we pray, God, that even as we hear them in any way, shape, or form, we're reminded that they need and long to be a part of a church that's not an institution but demonstrates unconditional love. We believe that that unconditional love will change the path of a child just as it changes the path for each of us. And so, God, we pray that you would establish your church through us. We pray all of this, and we pray it together in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.